Hi, I'm Kate Spina. This is Toward Light, Practical Buddhism for the Modern World. Each week I explore ways to apply these timeless teachings to our daily life. Hi, welcome to episode 10 of the Toward Light podcast. This week I'm going to be talking about the radical nature of the Dharma and how we can use this rebellious spirit to help us transform our hearts and minds and to help the community grow and change. Last week I did note that the Buddha was focused on individual liberation, not specifically on how groups are liberated, but that doesn't mean that the Buddha wasn't a rebellious, radical, revolutionary. He offered something really different and important, and so I want to talk about how we can use that spirit to help drive us, drive our practice. At this moment in time, where this a real opportunity and a real groundswell of energy that's saying, let's change the status quo, let's dismantle white supremacy, let's become anti-racist. We need to tap into this revolutionary spirit to help us grow in this way. There's the possibility that you're hearing this intro and this isn't what you want out of your practice or out of Buddhism or this isn't what you want to hear right now, you are hoping for some peace or some quiet, some settling, some ease, and that's okay. My hope is that as you listen, you will see that these things are not exclusive, that the path is rebellious on its own. So as we do these practices, we are radically changing our hearts and minds, which is then affecting the world around us. A little later on in the episode, I'm going to break down the Noble Eightfold Path and why each of those steps is revolutionary and how with each of those path factors, we can take some specific action or do a small practice that can help us become more anti-racist, that can help us dismantle white supremacy. But first I want to talk about why was the Buddha a rebel? Why, why would I say that? So 2,600 years ago in northern India, there was a caste system that was very much in place, and there was a place for spiritual seeking, but so often it was more ascetic practices There were a lot of different teachers, and the first way that the Buddha was a rebel is that when he did leave his home and decide to become a spiritual seeker and to look for the truth of things, is he did try several teachers before he said, you know what, none of these people are offering me what I need. What, what I am looking for. I need to do this on my own. So while he took things that he got from different teachers, he didn't allow himself to be swayed or driven by one person, or he didn't allow himself to follow blindly. He questioned and he made a choice to look in a different way. And then when he did sit under the Bodhi tree and access this practice of mindfulness and created this path of practice, that was rebellious too, because it was non-theistic. It was focused on individual work. 
The Buddha taught to everybody. He did not agree with the caste system. He felt that anybody could be awakened. And so he taught in Pali, which was the language that the people in his community spoke. So the Brahmins were speaking Sanskrit, but the Buddha chose to teach in Pali. Again, rebellious, saying, I don't like this top-down system. I need to touch everybody, reach everybody. While it took him a minute, the Buddha did ordain women. Again, very rare. Spiritual seekers at that time often were not women. And he said, no, women can be nuns. And when he died, he didn't name a successor. He didn't say, this is my lineage or these are who can carry these teachings. Again, rebellious. There was no creation of some sort of system or religion. He was really saying, you know what? You each will take this path and practice and carry it in your heart and mind and transform you and you'll share it. And that, that is how this will grow. So he really was radical. And so how do we bring this to our practice? How can we use this to combat the racism inside of ourselves and in our communities? Like I said, I'm going to unpack the Noble Eightfold Path a little bit and talk about why each of those steps was so rebellious or is so rebellious and what's something we can do in each of those areas to help us. So the first path factor is wise view is seeing clearly, seeing the truth of things. We're seeing the truth of karma. We're seeing the truth of the Four Noble Truths. And when we truly see the truth of the Four Noble Truths, when we see this truth of suffering, of dukkha, of difficulty, that's against our body conditioning. Our body is trying not to look at that. Our system is trying to keep us safe And while it scans for threats, it doesn't want to stay there. It wants to constantly seek for pleasure. So we're rebelling against our own conditioning by saying, no, I want to look at the suffering. I want to look at the difficulty. That's radical. That's shaking up our neural pathways, our whole system, our whole way of doing things. And so one way that we can touch this in our lives right now is trying not to look away at suffering. We all need to be careful in our own ways about how much news or information we take in, and we each need to determine that for ourselves. But if you notice yourself flinching away from certain news coverage or certain types of videos or certain words, notice if you can stay with that suffering a little bit more. The example I was thinking about for me is that on Instagram, I'll be flipping through my Insta stories and kind of tapping through. I don't always look at the whole story all the time. And I follow the Equal Justice Initiative, and they post really useful things about Black history, and they create these amazing reports And sometimes the photos or the information that they post is quite painful. And so the choice I'm making is when I get to their stories to not click through quickly, to stop and read and pay attention and learn. And so that's literally a difference of five to seven seconds that I'm just spending a little bit more time with this information. Where do you shy away from the truth of dukkha? And, and where can you stay just a little bit more? 
The next path factor is wise intention, where we ground all of our actions with an intention to not harm, to let go, and to come from a place of kindness. Letting go is rebellious. For those of us as lay people, we may not be letting go of everything, but we're letting go of our patterning as much as possible. We're letting go of our compulsion to cling, to crave, to grasp for. So the more that we work on this, the more that we notice that letting go needs to come before our actions, again, against our conditioning, against our system, our body system that says, I need to hold on to what's good. I need to hold on to what's familiar. When we make the choice to let go, that is a radical act. That is revolutionary. The way we can bring this into our lives is noticing when we're holding on too tight, especially around ideas. So if somebody says, defund the police, and your immediate thought is, we can't do that, or that's not possible, notice that you're holding on to a belief. Notice how deeply you're clinging to a belief. Can you let go a little bit? Can you find a way to listen? Can you bring your intention of not harming, of renunciation and kindness to open your perspective just a little bit? One way that we can do this is to notice closure in our body. So to notice when something comes up and we shut down. Maybe it's curling your shoulders in, maybe it's clenching your jaw, maybe you're making a fist, maybe your stomach is tightening. But that can be a signal when we're hearing a new idea or we're getting information and we are closing. That's a signal to us, oh, this is an opportunity for renunciation. This is an opportunity to let go. Can I take a breath and see if I can open a little bit? The third path factor is around wise speech. And the way that the Buddha spoke and taught was very radical for his time. There's teaching after teaching of Brahmins coming to him or young students coming to him and asking him questions which he chooses not to answer. He just uses silence as his answer. There are also suttas where he talks about certain types of questions that just aren't useful or conversations that aren't useful. The Buddha did a lot of emphasis on not having idle chatter, not talking just to talk or not talking to defend, but taking the opportunity to be silent, to listen, to take in information. Wise speech encompasses a lot of other things, but specifically around this piece of keeping silent, how can we bring that into our lives? Super against the culture. We live in a time of a lot of words and talking and social media and this, that, and whatever. So one thing we can do to practice wise speech, to practice wise listening, is first we can seek out other voices. We can notice where there might be gaps in our literature and what we've read and what we are understanding and look for other places, look for other ways to read, to grow, to learn. The underlying tenet of wise speech is this idea that when we do speak, 
that were coming from speech that is honest, kind, timely, and useful. And so when you're speaking, a big question right now is, is this the right time? For those of us who have spent time in groups or community, you may notice when there's group sharing, there have been studies done about who shares first and the length of time that people share. So notice in yourself, what's your tendency in that setting? And if you often speak first, or if you often take the floor for a long time, see if maybe you can focus on listening right now. Figure out a way to uplift voices that maybe aren't heard in those conversations. And one of the ways we do that is by staying silent. So we're making space for others. Wise action is the path factor where we look at how to not cause harm in all of our interactions. And the Buddha was radical in this way because he was teaching to everybody. And so in the caste system, there was a lot of harm. And he was saying, no, none of that's acceptable. You can't kill other beings but you also can't take what's not freely given and you have to be careful with your sexual energy. And in the caste system, there was a lot of taking what was not freely given. There were a lot of people who were abusing their power and not even seeing necessarily that they were doing that because it was so ingrained in the culture and the Buddha was just not having it. We can look at how are our actions affecting others What are ways that we're causing harm that maybe we don't even know? There's so much out there right now around what it means to be anti-racist and how we can cultivate some level of awareness and how we can catch some of our blind spots. And one way that we can do this is, again, going back to the meeting example of we can be taking what's not freely given in terms of taking time or energy. So we need to notice how much time we're taking up, how much space we're leaving for others. We need to notice if there are relationships in our life where due to power dynamics, whether it's racial dynamics or other power disparities that we're taking advantage of people coming from a place of non-harming in all of our actions is the goal and we are going to screw up we are going to make mistakes but when we've made a mistake the only way forward is to change it's not to wallow in the mistake or try and defend it it's to apologize and to change our behavior Wise livelihood is the path factor where the Buddha talks about money. Even though he was a monastic, he was teaching to everybody. And so he talked about how people make money, what they do for work. He had a series of jobs that he said are not acceptable, such as being a butcher or trading in humans. And that was rebellious because Again, in the caste system, people were born and kind of put into boxes of, okay, this is what caste you're in, this is what job you're going to have. And he was saying, no, that doesn't have to be true. 
And you also, you need to look at what you're doing and make sure you're not causing harm. When we're looking at wise livelihood, we're looking at how we make our money and how we spend our money. Right now, we have a real opportunity to make choices, financial choices that can change systems. So if we're supporting small businesses or corporations who are overtly racist or maybe subtly racist or aren't showing that they are willing to change and grow, we can make a different choice. We can choose where to put our money. If we're working for a system that feels harmful, we can look for other ways that we can either change our job or if that's not possible, to bring non-harming into the harmful system. The Buddha did speak to wealthy folks from time to time who would say, I want to follow this path, but do I have to become a monk? And he'd say, no, but with your power comes responsibility to then take care of your employees, to take care of the people who are in your community. And so if we're in positions of power at work, how do we take care of those who work for us? How do we make sure that everyone is being treated equally and fairly? The one example I have for this is when I started Toward Light, it's very small. I didn't need a lot of services, but I made a commitment that whatever I needed, whether it's a graphic designer or headshots or whatever the thing might be, that I would only hire a woman. Why did I make that choice? Because for me, it felt important to put my money where my heart is. My heart says, wow, there's a lot of inequality in this system. There is a lot of ways that I am perpetuating the system. How can I start to move my money where it makes a difference? The next path factor is wise effort. As I said earlier, this is rebellious because the Buddha was talking about doing our practice ourselves, working with our own minds, not looking to external guides or external gods, but to do the work inside of our own selves, which again at that time was quite radical. In wise effort, what we're doing is we're trying to prevent unwholesome mind states from arising abandoning them when they do arise, cultivating wholesome mind states, and we're sustaining them when we have them. I gave this example, I think last week, but so notice if you're walking in a grocery store and you have a racist thought about somebody, this has happened to me more times than I would like to admit. So you notice this person and then a thought arises. So the job with wise effort is to say this is unwholesome and then to do something different. So to either replace the thought with the opposite. Okay, I'm saying I'm judging this person, so I'm going to replace that with a thought of love. May you be well. So often for me what happens is the immediate thought arises and then my shaming comes in of, oh my God, I can't believe you thought that. So it's, may they be well, may I be well, may we all be well. We can also use the strategy of questioning or deconstructing the thought. And when the thought pops up, noticing it's unwholesome and then saying, 
how is this serving me? Or where did this come from? Where is this patterning? By getting curious, by getting interested, we can break the habitual pattern. Again, this is going to happen for many of us for a very long time, unfortunately. But what our choice is and why wise effort is so important is because we can stop it at the thought level. We can stop it as soon as it arises and make sure that we don't act in accordance with those racist thoughts. Wise mindfulness is the seventh path factor. And the reason that this was so radical was, again, the Buddha was saying, we're not looking outside, we're looking inside ourselves. We're not looking to do things for future rebirths or for to heal past like yes karma cause and effect is true but really we're curious about what's happening in the present moment because whatever is happening now that's what's going to be born next so if we pay attention now here to this that's where the healing is going to happen there were also a lot of theistic and devotional practices and ascetic practices at the time. And so the Buddha saying, yeah, just just sit, was really radical. And that's one of the beauties of the practice, right, is we can bring this with us everywhere. We don't need to do something special or look a certain way or wear certain clothing. We can be mindful wherever we go. So when we're in our bodies when we're in the present moment, it can allow us to really watch how is this systemic racism happening in our lives, in our hearts and minds, in the lives of those around us. And what's one thing that we can do in this moment to make a difference? And sometimes that can be a big step in terms of some action piece or going to a, a march or um could be signing a petition or sending money somewhere or doing some reading or educating yourself or offering compassion practice to others or to yourself. There's so many ways that we can take wise action in a moment, but we need to bring our mindfulness. We need to get really clear. What can I do in this moment to help combat systemic racism in a way that feels natural and good to me and that I have the energy for. The final path factor is wise concentration. The Buddha said that this whole path is available to anybody. And so that is why this is so rebellious is that at the time, concentration was sort of a special thing that only spiritual seekers were doing. And he's saying, yeah, anyone can get concentrated and you don't have to sit still for a hundred hours to make it happen. Concentration will arise from mindfulness and concentration is accessible. So we can hold that in our hearts and know that anybody can be concentrated and that includes us that we can find ways to concentrate our energy into what's most important if we choose to harness our energy our mindfulness our awareness into becoming more anti-racist if we make that choice 
we can stay with that. We can continue to build our concentration in that area. We can continue to build the capacity of our heart. We can continue to build our effort, but we need to concentrate. We need to stay focused and we can, it's possible. So I hope that you've seen throughout this episode that being radical, being rebellious, being revolutionary is embedded in the path. It's how the path was created. When we practice the Dharma, we are also rebellious. We are going against our conditioning. We're going against our human body system. And we are finding a way to live differently, to see clearly, to pay more attention, and to wake up. So notice how you feel about these words now. Radical, rebellious, revolutionary. And can you bring some of that spirit of these teachings and some of that spirit of the Buddha into your practice and into the steps that you take day in and day out. Thank you so much for listening. The links are in our show notes. You can find me on Instagram at towardlight108 and the website is towardlight.net. If you have any questions or feedback, I'd love to hear from you. Be well.